Hi, everybody. Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I'm Mike Spofford alongside Wes Hodkowitz here at our studios inside Lambeau Field. And Wes, it's that time of year within the last couple of weeks before training camp begins. You start to think about who are some of the young players, the guys who aren't really the household names yet amongst the fan base, who might start to emerge, might start to make a name for themselves as we get into training camp in the preseason, maybe grab a little bit larger role on offense or defense. Let's start with the offense. Is there a guy that stands out to you as maybe one you're going to keep your eye on as training camp begins? Yeah, Oh, yeah. You got Aaron Ripkowski. He has the name. He has the look. And uh, more importantly, I-, I thought he showed a lot of bright spots uh, during that rookie season. Now, we didn't get to see him a whole lot on offense. You know, he had John Kuhn there. But the times that we did see him, I, I think I go back to Carolina <laughs> and seeing him in-, in that 19-yard reception he had, completely bowling over one of the defensive backs. Tough to forget that play. From Carolina, yeah. yeah. And-, and it's those type of plays that I think can really show you the power that he has, what he brings, um, you know, as a potential run blocker. And-, and even in a situation like that, I mean, that's what – uh, for so many years made John Kuhn so versatile and important was what he could bring in so many different areas of the offense. Now, he's not currently on the roster. Ripkowski's the only uh, established fullback right. that the Packers have. Um, and you tie in his contributions on special teams. I thought he did a lot of good things there last year. Basically, when you look at a six-round pick, it was, I think it was the first time since maybe five or six years that the Packers had drafted a fullback. It seemed like he did everything you look for in year one. Yeah, I would I would say so. And looking at some of his film on special teams from last season, not only in coverage does he get down the field, you know, get in there on tackles and, and things like that, but in the return game, he's a good blocker. He threw yeah. a lot of key blocks for some of these returns that, you know, Jeff Janis and Micah Hyde and guys like that had for the Packers. And, you know, you really like the uh, the buy-in that he's had on special teams. And I think a lot of that comes from, you know, playing a position like fullback. He comes right. from Oklahoma. Former um, walk-on, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Had to earn everything uh, right. everything that he got in college there uh, for the Sooners. And when you talk about a position like fullback, it almost lends itself to uh, a cult following in Green Bay. You had William Henderson for all those trend, years. Yeah. You know, then John Kuhn. We'll see if there's any kind of a chant the fans can come up with for, uh, for Aaron Ripkowski. But, uh, um, but yeah, I, a sixth-round pick. You know, developmental guy who I think could very well take on a bigger role this year. Yeah, absolutely. And as you said too, when you have a guy that's a late round pick, or maybe not, as, you know, he's going to have to really get what he earns. You're going to need to play on special teams. And I thought one of the things too about him that that really stood out was just how eager he was to take on that role. Another guy that I think that was eager to do that was Ty Montgomery. And I know that's a, that's someone that you've kind of pointed out is someone that could potentially be maybe moving into that household role this season. Yeah, provided he comes back from, you know, the ankle surgery. We didn't see him at all during OTAs and minicamp. He was still sidelined from the injury that cut his rookie season short after six games. But, you know, Montgomery stepped right in last year as the kickoff return guy had a couple of big returns in Chicago in week one. He was off to a great start as a rookie. 15 catches, two touchdowns in the first six games before he got hurt. And I think I kind of felt like as the season went along last year without Jordy Nelson and the offense started to struggle, fans were talking about, all the Packers need to rebuild that receiver. They need to draft some new receivers. It's almost like they forgot that Ty Montgomery, you know, a third-round draft pick out of Stanford, is a guy who presumably will be back this year. And I think he can make a big difference in this offense. Yeah, and how many times have we talked about, I know I've 
I've mentioned this quite a bit, that, that sort of backfield dual role that we saw with Randall Cobb. Uh, Ty Montgomery was doing that, I thought, pretty well in terms of it gave them another option for if they wanted to bring somebody back to, to kind of look for a mismatch at the defense. Right. Um, if you can get both of those guys going, now they really didn't have both healthy at the same time in yeah, the last season. Yeah, very true. They did test drive it a little bit. I'll be very interested to see if he can come back and play at a high level this year and, and obviously put all that behind him. Uh, what he could potentially add to the offense in that sort of dual threat hybrid role. Yeah, there will be the question with as much time as Montgomery has missed with the injury when he does get cleared, you know, how soon will he reacclimate himself to the offense to Aaron Rodgers? But you go back to the start of training camp last year, there aren't a whole lot of rookies, especially at receiver in this offense, who look like they belong right away and look right. like they know what they're doing. When I saw Ty Montgomery, the first few training camp practices last summer, I was like, wow, this kid gets it. You know, Obviously, he comes from Stanford. He's smart. The playbook is not a problem mm-hmm. for him. But he reminded me in a lot of ways in terms of that, that quick early impression. He reminded me of Greg Jennings when Jennings showed up on the scene in 2006 and just looked like he belonged right away, and that can be rare in an offense this complex. Yeah, and keep in mind, too, Ty Montgomery missed – a large majority of the off-season program as a rookie because I think he was still finishing up at Stanford. That's right, yeah. So for him, I, th- I believe this is – I think it was just mini camps he was here for last year. And to be able to sort of hit the ground running like that, move – I think he was pretty much cemented in that number four role within the first week or week and a half of camp. Uh, that that bodes well, I think, for what he can bring to the table both now and what he has to build off now moving forward. Yeah, definitely. Well, a couple of 2015 draft picks, Ripkowski and Montgomery, to keep our eyes on, and we'll uh, switch gears to the defense after the break. We'll be back with more on Packers Unscripted right after this. Welcome back to Packers Unscripted. Mike Spofford alongside Wes Hodkowitz. Let's shift gears and talk about some players to emerge potentially on the defensive side of the ball. A lot of young guys, a lot of young prospects, as the Packers always have in training camp. Who's the uh, the one that jumps out at you? Ladarius Gunter is the one for me. And here's the thing. There's a lot of cornerbacks for the Packers right now. They have a lot of depth at position. Yeah. So it's not a given that he's going to be able to get on the field, even if he has a great training camp again. It's going to be a lot of factors that will play into that. But the thing I liked about what Gunter did last year, in my time covering the Packers so far, I don't know if I've had anybody that has been, I don't want to say is, is highly touted, but I mean, I think the Packers felt pretty good about this guy coming in. They, they thought there was some unfinished business he had there from Miami and maybe hadn't reached his full potential. Now, a lot of people locked on to that 40 time, but the reality was is that he's a pretty good cover cornerback, and fitting into the Packers system, the press coverage you know, kind of tendencies that they have, he's a strong guy, he's a lengthy guy, and I think he's somebody that the Packers feel fits pretty well into the secondary. Yeah, undrafted cornerback from Miami, that's, uh, that's, yeah. worked, uh, that's worked here before <laughs> with uh, number 37, Sam Shields, but before we... We're not putting Gunter in that category just yet, obviously. But I remember last year in training camp when he was making an early impression as an undrafted rookie, you know, we start wondering, hey, is this an undrafted guy who could make the roster? And, you know, we start going around and asking the wide receivers, like, hey, you know, can this kid cover? Is he legit? And the wide receivers on this team said, hey, in press coverage, man-to-man, he's physical at the line of scrimmage. He's got long arms, you know, strong guy. 
Um, he, ha- he has the tools to make it in this league. He does, and, and the Packers kind of expanded his repertoire a little bit this offseason. He learned that inside cornerback position, which he's picked up really well, which could really help him, I think, get on the field more because t- typically when he was only playing on the boundary, that's a tough spot to get on the field because you usually have your top two cornerbacks in those positions. Right. So for him, learning that inside spot, I think, will increase those opportunities, give him a chance to compete for more, you know, a bigger role in this defense. But as Joe Witt talked about too, and when I mentioned it with him, you know, there were concerns about his speed and if he could stand up to like high, you know, top receivers in the league. Witt really doesn't have a concern with that right now. Now, there might be a few exceptions that I think everybody struggles with in this league, but for the most part, he believes he's smart enough that he'll put himself in positions to really be able to uh, to hang in there with the, the, the best of the best. Yeah, and Joe Witt has certainly proven himself as a coach in terms of developing young cornerbacks and guys coming in with maybe not a whole lot of pedigree you might say I remember in the playoff game I believe it was at Washington in the wild card round last year Gunter got thrown in there yeah uh thrown into the mix and to his credit it was almost unnoticed and you know it's almost like an offensive lineman you know if you don't hear their name that's probably a good thing and that was the way it was in a sense with Gunter against the Redskins I believe he was matched up a few times with Pierre Garçon uh, had the pass deflection against you know, him yeah, yeah in a and, big situation yeah and uh um you know really held his own pretty well another defensive guy that I'm going to watch as uh, as training camp unfolds is Jaron Elliott now not quite as young third year guy um but was undrafted out of Toledo made the roster uh, with a big preseason two years ago. We saw him last year early in the season against Seattle in week two, has the interception in the fourth quarter when the Packers are protecting the lead, gets a uh, a forced fumble that creates another turnover on the very next Seahawks possession to seal the game. Then he has back-to-back sacks in consecutive games against the Chiefs and the 49ers the next two weeks. And then, you know, kind of fell off the radar a little bit. Do you think... J. Roan Elliott is a guy who maybe can build on those things he did last year, even though they were early in the season. I certainly do. I mean, there's that old adage that if you contribute on special teams, you become a you know a factor on special teams. That usually is a good precursor to you having a bigger role down the line and def- defensively. I mean, you look at Desmond Bishop, some of the other guys have done that in the past in Green yeah. Bay, although it wasn't at J. Roan's position. But the thing I like about him is he's been a natural leader. He's been a guy that stepped up and fit well into Ron Zook's units. And you can see that playmaking ability. We saw it his first year, you know, the five sacks in the preseason that got him onto the roster. This past season, three sacks, the game against Seattle where he made such a big impact. What kind of hampered him, and I know you talked about it, was that quad injury. And, you know, that was something that sort of lingered down the stretch and sort of inhibited him a little bit. Yeah, he never never quite came all the way back from that, I don't think, at least not until the very end. But he also talked in the offseason not only about trying to stay healthy, keep keep his body healthier, but to on the defensive side, not to chase plays. He right. almost he almost right. confessed that when he made those big plays early in the season, then he started to chase those big plays instead of just staying within the scheme and doing his job. And if you chase plays and get out of position, that's a quick ticket to the bench because uh, because a good offense is going to exploit that. And I think he learned something last season. And depending on how much the Packers use Clay Matthews at outside linebacker, you can make a case that that position, the edge rusher, elephant, whatever you want to call it, is the most deep spot they have right now. So it's going to be something where Jay is going to have to obviously earn those reps and when he does get them, make the most of them because you're dealing with, you know, Matthews and Peppers and Nick Perry and all these other guys at that position as well. Yeah, but it's I, I think it's a nice luxury, you might say, for Dom Capers to have a guy like that who hasn't 
necessarily reached his full potential, but he already knows the system because he's been here a couple years. And so maybe there is that greater opportunity for him to jump in and do something. Definitely. Yeah. Well, with that, we'll throw it to a break and we'll be back with more to talk about a couple of other young guys on defense here on Packers Unscripted right after this. Welcome back to Packers Unscripted. Mike Spofford alongside Wes Hodkowitz. And Wes, you mentioned Ladarius Gunter in the last segment. I want to go back to the cornerback position and the top two draft picks from last season, Demarius Randall, Quentin Rollins in the first and second rounds. And they were brought along very quickly by Joe Witt, but brought along quickly because they showed right away that they belonged in the NFL. They certainly did, and the thing that really stood out to me the most about both Rollins and Randall is the fact that you have two guys that were pretty raw to the NFL cornerback position. (laughs) Yeah, you're not kidding. You know, Rollins only played cornerback one year at Miami of Ohio, four-year starter otherwise in basketball. Yeah. And then you had Randall, who, in addition to playing baseball at one point in his college career, uh, played safety the past two years at Arizona State. How quickly both of those guys jumped in and contributed to this defense, I thought went a long way to what the Packers were able to do, considering you lose Tremont Williams, you lose Devon House. There was a lot of questions in that secondary, and those two guys, especially Randall, being able to contribute almost from day one, I think they went a long way to what the Packers were able to accomplish in the, what was, I think, the NFL's six-ranked pass defense. Yeah, no doubt about it, and they both had their really big playmaking moments. Rollins was... The first one, he had the pick six against St. Louis. Then Randall matched him with a pick six later in the season against Oakland. The Packers had not had a rookie return an interception for a touchdown since 2002, safety Marcus Anderson. And then suddenly they have two rookies who do it in the same season. Pretty remarkable. Then Randall against the Chargers in week six breaks up the fourth down pass to save a seven-point victory down there on the goal line. And and, uh, what those guys did... And the fact that, really, you talk to Joe Witt about them, they're just scratching the surface, perhaps, as to what they can do and and their ability to perhaps move around, play inside and outside in the defense. A lot of possibilities here. Yeah, and, and Witt even mentioned, you know, Randall actually talked to him last year about wanting to play inside a little bit. I mean, that traditionally has been a big playmaking position when you look at what Charles Woodson did there, Casey Hayward in his rookie season, the six interceptions. Uh, that's been a spot for young guys to make a pretty big impact right away in this defense. Uh, The thing for the Packers is they didn't have anybody established outside when they lost Williams, so Randall kind of ended up falling in that spot with Hayward's best position being the nickel as well. So uh, this offseason has allowed them to sort of expand his horizons now. We saw Rollins play both inside and outside last year. Um, So working under Joe Witt and really taking in all of those positions – that's something that I think is really exciting for the secondary as far as where they could all fall in, in 2016. Yeah, and in talking to Randall, and I think this goes along with that potential playmaking opportunity in the slot that you're talking about, talking to him during the offseason, he said what he wants to do in year two is get to the point where he knows the defense so well that he can start to show the quarterback one thing right. when he's doing another, you know, disguising what he's doing, and that's what creates those potential opportunities for big plays. And you saw last year, that's what HaHa Clinton Dix, he started moving more into that realm, and he mentioned this offseason plays where maybe, you know, somebody else was supposed to blitz out of the slot. I think he said Micah was it against Minnesota, and he ended up switching the call because 
Bridgewater could see that that was coming. Those are the things that when you can start to play the game within the game yeah. can really help a cornerback or a defensive back in general take their game to another level. Yeah, now we didn't see uh, Rollins really during the offseason through OTAs and minicamp had a nasty little dislocated yeah. finger injury that kept him sidelined. Nothing that I, I guess has been ruled as anything serious. Well, we expect him back for training camp, but uh, – Aside from maybe that, you know, disguising and playing tricks on the quarterback, what do you see as maybe the, the next step for these two in their games? Yeah, it probably is going to come down to maybe the, the more regular playing time because you lose Casey Hayward, who actually led the secondary in snaps, the cornerbacks in snaps last season. That's 900 defensive plays that they're going to have yeah. to find guys for. And more and more we're seeing defenses move to these spread offenses they're playing nickel and dime packages 75 80% of the time yeah, now. at least. You need to be able to expand that. You need to have be able to go pretty deep into that depth chart. Uh, how will Rollins respond when he's actually a week-to-week contributor? You know, he, even you go to the Washington game and in the playoffs, he really wasn't still a, a consistent guy. I mean, he, he there were opportunities for him, but, it, you know, there was also Micah Hyde and, and Casey Hayward. Well, where do those guys fit now when you take away Hayward snaps, and how will they respond to that extra playing time? I know Randall even talked about working on his conditioning to, to put himself in a better spot. Yeah, and it's really interesting with these two as well. They're good friends, and not just because they were drafted 1-2 by the Packers. They actually met at the Senior Bowl in right. Mobile, Alabama. They were roommates at the Senior Bowl, and... Randall actually joked at the time, you know, telling Rollins, hey, we're going to end up on the same team. And Rollins was like, ah, you're crazy. That'll never happen. And then sure enough, it happens. The Packers take them in the first and second rounds and a lot of promise, a lot to watch in the future from those two guys. So with that, we'll throw it to a break and we'll be back with more on Packers Unscripted right after this. Welcome back to Packers Unscripted. Mike Spofford alongside Wes Hodkowitz. And Wes, let's wrap up the show with a quick look back at a big moment from 2015. The Rodgers to Rodgers Hail Mary in Detroit. It wins the ESPY for play of the year. You and I were both in the press box at Ford Field when this happened. So what do you remember most about that moment? Well, I remember my laptop just completely, you know, incinerated in front of me. It's on fire. (laughs) Uh, We were doing a running game story that night, so I had to send as soon as the game ended. And obviously with how things turned out, there was even an overtime. It was like the game was over. I had to reconstruct my entire Uh, at least the first 200 words of my game story. And I went and took a picture down at the spot that Richard Rodgers caught the ball afterwards with a photo that said, this is where my game story died. Um, (laughs) Just an iconic moment, uh, one that I'll never forget. And I know everybody associated with the Packers for everything to fall the way it did in the game to end in that fashion. It's going to be one for the history books for sure. Yeah. And I remember processing everything that had happened because you talk about deadlines and getting your work done and getting your story written right away. As I'm flying back on the plane from Detroit late that night, I started thinking about all the things that had to happen in order for the play to even take place. I go back to when the Packers are down 23-21 after Rodgers had scrambled and and scored the touchdown by the pylon there. Detroit had third and 12 on their own 18-yard line with about three minutes left to go. And I'm thinking... Packers stop him here, make him punt from inside the 20. Rodgers is going to drive the Packers down. Crosby's going to kick a field goal, and the Packers are going to win 24-23 and come back from this 20 to nothing deficit. Matthew Stafford threads an absolutely perfect throw against great coverage by Quentin Rollins over the middle for a big gain that picks up a first down. 
and you're thinking that's it, the game is over. Detroit's Detroit's got it now, and the Packers fortunately got the ball back. But then even when they got it back, it takes a face mask call on a whole botched lateral goofy play for the Packers to get the untimed down for Rodgers to even be able to make the throw. It's incredible. And the throw, I, I've never seen anything like it. 60 yards, I mean, however high it went in the air. It, it almost took out a rafter yeah. or a light up there, you would have thought. So few human beings on this planet can throw a football like that. And afterwards, if there's any question about how much that game meant to the Packers, how important it was at that turn in the season, just remember all the players converging on Richard Rodgers on the field who ended a career day, eight catches, 145 yards. It was just one of the most joyous moments I think you're ever going to see on a football field. Yeah, that was uh, that was really, you know, as you say, unbridled joy, just spontaneous celebration. You know, Mike McCarthy even talked about he was wrapped up in the moment, but he's also looking around the field to make sure there are no flags down yeah, to, make sure exactly. that it, to make sure that it counted, you know, because uh, because if it didn't, the Packers weren't going to get another chance no. with uh, with no time on the clock. So just uh, just a, a remarkable moment to remember 2015. So that's a wrap on today's edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team on Packers.com. On Twitter, he's at Wes Hod. I'm at Mike Spofford, at Packers for the team account. Thanks for watching, everybody, and we'll see you next time.